Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me, You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just come and just worship you for your greatness, for your goodness, for your uh, just unchangeableness, Lord. You are the same yesterday and today and forever, Lord, and we just worship you for that. We thank you for that. Father, um, just be with Pastor Mark um, as he just um, expounds on your word. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us um, would grow closer to you this morning. Um, Lord, that as we as we read your word, um, that it would change us. Lord, that our hearts would be receptive and humble. Um, And just be with us this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Uh, A couple of things before we get into the psalm. Um, We uh, got back late last, well, I guess late late morning, early afternoon from camp. We were on vacation all week long, um, along with the hobbies. And so if we have bags under our eyes, it's because we were at camp all week long, sleeping on very thin mattresses. But having a great time, uh, spending time with God's people, learning a lot um, from God's Word, and uh, getting some time for rest and relaxation and uh, time just to kind of renew a little bit as a family together, um, but individually too. Um, So thank you for allowing us to go um, and spend that time at camp. Um, Secondly, next Sunday, uh, I am gone. Um, and Jason is gone, and Vinny is gone. We are going on the bike trip to camp, so I get to see camp two weeks in a row, two weekends in a row. Um, We're going to drive or ride our bikes 200 miles down 
to camp starting Friday morning early. And uh, like they have to be at my house at 6 a.m. Um, and then we head down to Apple Valley and then we take the next three days, two and a half days really to ride about 200 miles uh, down there. So pray for safety. Um, pray um, just for the camp too that um, we'd be able to, a lot of the money that we raise, well all of the money that we raise from the bike trip goes to a lot of special projects and um, this year it's going to new cabins that they're building because they're just at capacity almost every single week. Um, and so to have those n- new cabins, uh, newer cabins, um, that, uh, that would be um, a huge blessing to them. Um, so continue to pray for them. Uh, but because I am gone, uh, we have Luke Anderson is coming in uh, to speak. He is a seminary student at Bethlehem College and Seminary. Um, I got in touch uh, with him through a fellow uh, pastor friend of mine. And uh, uh, so pray for him. He will actually be speaking on James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Um, I told him, do something maybe a little bit more simple, like when we first talked, like a month ago. And he chose James. Like, wow, okay, might as well just do Romans then, right? Um, But uh, so pray for him, though. It's going to be really good. Uh, Pray for him as he uh, just prayerfully um, thinks through that passage, what does God want to teach us um, as his people, and, uh, and then give him the power through the Spirit to, to speak the truth and just be bold for the truth of what God's Word says. So um, his name is Luke, so continue to pray for him. Psalm 86. It is a lament. This is our second lament of our psalm series, and if we remember laments uh, from about, oh, about six weeks ago when we went, five, six weeks ago when we went through our last one. Um, laments are interesting psalms. I think that's a good way to say it. We tend to avoid laments uh, because laments are difficult. And they're difficult because the emotions that are there, they seem to be very negative. Um, a lament, though, is actually opposite of praise, but not in a negative way, it's still in a God-glorifying way. So and a, a lament is opposite of praise of God for what you've done, and instead is, um, oh, how do you say, it's honesty before God. So you can speak honestly in a lament. The psalmist is speaking honestly to God. It's a heart filled with a lot of times sadness, fear, or even anger at situations that have happen in life, but with few exceptions, those laments by the end always seem to turn to God at the end. Their confidence of the words turns to the Lord. And in this psalm, David is pouring out his heart to God because of uh, who he calls insolent and ruthless men who are opposed to him, who are standing against him, presumably holding a sin of David against him. But David chooses instead to focus on God's steadfast love. And in the end, and this is where the confidence comes, he requests God to move in such a way that shows not only to David, but also to these men, that David is now in God's favor. But there's two verses in in this psalm that stand out to me, at least stood out to me as I was studying this week. It's verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love 
to all who call upon you. And then in verse 15, he says something very similar. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I've, I've read these through Psalms, not just as I've, we've gone through the, the Psalm series this summer, but just in life, I've read this a number of times in the Psalms, and I always kind of overlooked them. I figured that they were just, I mean, they, they sound really cool, right? They're just this phrase, a favorite phrase of the psalmist, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Aren't you, aren't you good, God? But when I was working through this psalm, and I always go to the references that my Bible has, so if you've got a study Bible, you've got references in the middle or on the bottom, use those references because it helps point you to things throughout Scripture that maybe you have missed. Instead of just reading through the psalm, go, go back to those references, and what are the editors, at least, of the Bible saying? Like, this, this might have something to do with this psalm and might give you a better insight as to what this passage means. Because let's be honest, if you're like me, you read a poem and you go, sounds good, okay. But there is a purpose to David's words. He doesn't just pick words because they sound nice. He picks words for a reason. And so David, I think, uses these words, especially in verse 5 and verse 15, to help us understand what he's getting at. What is he trying to say in this psalm? It became more clear when looking at those references, I saw Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Now, before we go there, though, a little bit of background is really helpful. In other words, we need, though Exodus 34 speaks of God's steadfast love for his people, there's more to the story than just those two verses. Because given the context, it's actually amazing and grace-filled that God would even speak these words to his people at that time. So we have to go back to Exodus 32 and 33. And don't worry, we're not going to read through the, the two chapters or anything like that. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you don't know this story, to go back, read, read this, Exodus 32 and 33. God has brought his people out of slavery in Egypt bringing them to what he calls the mountain of God, the mountain that God is residing on. And Israel camps at the mountain's base while Moses climbs to the top and receives God's law for his people that are written on two tablets of stone. And this law in general is called what? The Ten Commandments, right? But while Moses is talking with God, the people of Israel get tired of waiting for him to come down the mountain. And so they create a golden calf to worship, an act strictly prohibited by God. But even more troubling to the people, because after this act, Moses comes down, breaks the tablets, um, and God brings a plague upon the people. We're not told how many people died um, in these two chapters, but it was a bad plague, and Moses, Moses has to go back up to the mountain, and he hears, or God says to him, that he will no longer dwell with his people in the midst of his people, lest he consume them because of their sinfulness and what he calls their stiff-neckedness. 
after interceding before God on their behalf, because God was ready to just, you know, wipe them off and start over with Moses. Moses speaks to God, and God, before he gives his law back to Moses or says his law again to Moses, this is how God starts the conversation. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, turn to Exodus 34. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. So remember, Israel's just sinned, like really bad against God. I mean, they haven't even really spent much time with God, and the first thing they do is they create a false god to worship after all that he has already done for them. And this is what God says. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him, that is, before Moses, and he proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. These words are meant to both encourage and warn the people of Israel. God is full of mercy and grace. He is slow to anger. He's overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness. Have we heard this before? This is Psalm 86. For those whose sins are forgiven. Now that's the key. He shows those things to those whose sins are forgiven. But God is also full of wrath unwilling to clear the guilty and the unforgiven to the third and the fourth generation. These words are profound. Israel has just willingly and joyfully worshipped an idol. They committed adultery against God. And yet God reveals his steadfast love if only they would confess and seek his forgiveness. If they would just call upon him as their Savior and Lord, he would dwell once again with them. But those who refuse to confess their sinful rebellion and adultery against him and refuse to call upon him will face the consequences of his wrath to the second, third, and fourth generation. If Israel would recognize and confess their sins against God, God will faithfully forgive them, even their sin of creating and worshiping a golden calf. In essence, God is telling his people that if they turn from their sin and they follow and obey him, he will show them his steadfast love he will save them from the wrath for their sins. Okay, so now let's go back to Psalm 86, God's steadfast love for David. How does this apply to this psalm? Well, David is essentially points the reader to remember back to Exodus 34 and God's words to his people. David has committed a sin against God. 
a sin public enough that people have risen up against him seeking to stand, if not take his life, at least make life really miserable for him. And whether this is David's sin with Bathsheba, we're not told, and so it's not important for us to know what sin it is. All we need to know, what is important, is that David has committed an egregious sin against God, a sin that some will not forgive him for themselves. But David is reminding himself that he has already been forgiven by God, and so is lamenting that God hasn't revealed this forgiveness to those who are holding this sin against him. He begins with a request for God to hear him, answer me, incline your ear to me, hear what I have to say in verse 1. And then by verse 7, he declares that God does answer him because David has turned to the Lord in the day of his trouble. Because at first, these first seven verses, there's a lot in there. Kind of like, man, David is super arrogant. I am godly. That's, but he doesn't say it arrogantly. So we have to figure out why, why is he using these words? Preserve my life, be gracious to me, gladden my soul. Hear me, Lord, for you are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Well, he spends the next six verses declaring God's greatness, his worthiness of worship, and his worthiness of being glorified. Again, why? Well, because God's steadfast love is great. And in verse 13, he says, you have delivered me from the depths of Sheol. Now, that last phrase is in the past tense, revealing that David has already turned to God for forgiveness. That's what he says, I am godly. Hear me, God, because I didn't try to do this on my own. I turned to you. I asked you to forgive me, and you did forgive me. You have delivered me from the wrath of my, for my sins. And we saw last week being delivered from the depths of Sheol or death is not a physical temporary salvation. It is spiritual, and it is eternal. David has turned to God, and David has confessed his sin. He says, I have called upon you, O Lord, and the Lord has forgiven him. The Lord has restored his relationship with David, just as he did with Israel after the Golden Calf Rebellion. Are you seeing the connections here? David's confidence in God's forgiveness and steadfast love is strong. But those men who were against him, they're causing enough problems in his life that he has to write this psalm and lament to God. David's lament is not that God would hear his prayer of forgiveness. Don't don't hear that. But that God would give a public sign of his steadfast love to David so that those who were against David would be ashamed for rising up against him. Do you hear the difference? David is confident because he has turned to the Lord. Not, not some sort of superficial like, ah, yeah, I wasn't right. Yeah, forgive me, Lord. No, to call upon the Lord, to turn to the Lord, to seek for the Lord. That's a whole body, a whole mind, a whole soul type of thing. 
all of David. He recognizes his sinful rebellion and adultery against God. And he turns to the Lord and says, I need you to forgive me because if you don't, I am lost. And then there's these men who hold this against him. And David's saying, I've turned to you, Lord. I've turned to you. Can you show these men what you've done? So that they stop. So that they would quit and be ashamed for speaking against me. Like Israel and David before us, the people of God, the church, need to be reminded of and stand firm in their receiving of God's steadfast love, his saving them from the depths of Sheol, to use David's words. We were all once spiritually dead in our sins. We were all bound for eternal death and hell away from the grace of God, and we all fell short of the glory of God and could do nothing in our own power to save ourselves. We face the consequence of our sin, just as Israel did, just as David did, by being separated from God. But like David, like Israel, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins to God, if we turn to Him, if we call upon the Lord, He will reveal to us His great and, and faithful, steadfast love. Now that's, you say like, <laughs> how do you say, um, exclusive? If David did not turn, if Israel did not turn to the Lord, if we do not turn to the Lord, we do not receive His steadfast love and faithfulness. It's conditional. That is unpopular today because we want everybody to be included. We want everybody to feel loved, and, and we do, but there's, there's conditions. God only shows His steadfast love and his steadfast faithfulness to those who call upon him. And it's not just an Old Testament truth. 1 John 1, 9. If we, that is today, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just. He is merciful and gracious. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God has promised to not only forgive our sin, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. All of the sins that separate us from Him. And so as the church of God, our confidence that we are saved is not found in ourselves. It's not found in us. Our confidence of salvation, our confidence of forgiveness is found in Him. 
and we know that God has saved us as the church because He promised to save us if we confess our sins and we call upon Him on the day, on our day of trouble. So you see that? That we can stand, I can stand up here confidently knowing the darkness of my own heart, knowing that I still have sin that's there, knowing that, that by nature I am, I am bound or, or, or desire to turn to sin every moment of every day, but God, the Spirit is battling with me and for me, my flesh and my spirit every single day. I know where my heart is. I have no illusions that I am perfect and sinless except that I know that I have turned my eyes to God and my confidence is in Him to save me. Because He says, Mark, if you turn to me, I will save you. And so my hope, not a wish, my expectation is that God will welcome me into His presence the day that I stand before Him. Again, not a confidence in and of myself. My confidence is in Him. Just as David's confidence was in Him and Israel's confidence was in Him, not in themselves. He is faithful and just to save us, just as He promised to save us. But again, here's the condition. Because there's, there's more to, to that passage. We, we love to, 1 John 1, 9, He's faithful and just. If we confess our sins, there's a condition 1 John 1, verse 8, and then I'm going to read verse 10. So this is before and after the verse, the true verse, if we confess our sins. This is what he says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say, I have not sinned against the Lord, I have no problems before God, I am perfectly fine and he's not going to hold it against me. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. And his word is not in us. So if Israel and David were to say that their disobedience against God was not really disobedience, well, that seems pretty culturally relevant today, does it not? Yeah, it's really not that bad when I disobey God and I sin against him. So if Israel and David were to say that, that it really wasn't sin and God's just overblowing things, they would be lying to themselves because they'd be saying, I have no need of God. That's a lie for eternal salvation. But on top of that, they would be proclaiming God a liar because God says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So for me to then play God and say, yeah, I know you say I'm sinful, but it's really not that big of a deal to me, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal to you. I have just placed myself over God, and now I am an idol unto myself. And I am calling the God and creator of this universe a liar. We are saying then that we have no need for God, and we have no need for His salvation. And that is a very dangerous defense to have when we are standing before God on the day of judgment. 
This is serious stuff. For the unbeliever, for the one who has not called upon the Lord, this is what David is, in essence, saying to us. And what I'm saying to us, if you have yet to turn to the Lord, here is the call. Call upon the Lord and receive his salvation. Receive his great steadfast love. Okay, so turn. These are not my words. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and I want you to hear these words and read them with me, or listen as I read. I always feel like I have to clarify that to make sure. Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 9 and go all the way through verse 17. So, If you know someone who is an unbeliever, which we all do, or maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're like, oh my gosh, I I don't think my sin's that big of a deal. I'm I'm finding myself in the place of these these Israelites who refused to turn to God and were killed by a plague. Then hear these words, Romans chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 9, go all the way through verse 17 because we need to have context here. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's, we've heard that, right? That's, that's 1 John. It's like, oh, amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. But then he continues, for with one, with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Hear that? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So it's like, well, you got, I don't really believe, how am I supposed to call on him if, or if I think of people in my life, how do I call on them? They, They haven't believed yet. Well, this is, he answers that question. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now this passage rightfully is usually preached for us as believers. Like that's our, our call Right? Like, how, how is faith created or growing in us as believers? It's hearing the word of God and believing and confessing all those things just constantly. Not a confession of, like, I need to renew my salvation because I sinned, then God's going to send me to hell. No, once saved, always saved. That is there. It's in Scripture. There is, we cannot lose our salvation. Nothing will snatch me out of the love of God. Nothing. But as I was reading through this psalm, and I, this, this came to mind, this, this passage in Romans. As an unbeliever, if you've never heard this before, if you've never confessed your sin to God, you thought, trying to be a good person, that's how you get to heaven. 
Attending church, that's how you get to heaven. Doing more good than bad, that's how you get to heaven. This is what Paul is is saying to you. You need to hear the word of Christ. You need to hear the gospel. And that's basically what I've just done. If you confess your sins before God, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Like Israel and like David before us, he removes that sin that we committed, that adultery that we have committed against God. He's forgiven us those sins and he no longer holds those sins against us. That's the gospel. Call out the name of the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Turn to him. Confess your sin to him and he will forgive you. That is the gospel. You have now heard the word of Christ. And now, Paul says, you need to believe by faith. By faith, believe the word of Christ. That doesn't mean like, okay, I'll try it. No, like with all that you are. All that you are, call upon Christ to forgive you of your sinful rebellion against him. And he will forgive you. So, You've heard the word. You've heard the call that by faith you must believe the word and now obey the word. Do you, you notice that it's not, okay, obey the word and then God will think about forgiving you. It's he forgives you. Confess your sin, he forgives you and then you can then obey. We don't obey the word of God. We don't obey the commands of Christ. As he says in his great commission, right? Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. That's disobedience. But it comes after becoming a follower of Christ. We cannot obey God well enough to earn salvation. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called grace. He forgives us. We are saved by faith. And then he gives us the strength to actually obey him. So in other words, we don't obey him to earn his favor. We obey him because we already have his favor. Those are two very different things. One is grace. One is legalism and moralism. Call upon the Lord and receive his great steadfast love. Okay, so what if you're a believer? You say, yeah, I've I've done that, Mark. I've done that. Two things. First of all, do you hear David's confidence in this psalm? He doesn't let what's being said about him by these men to like suddenly help him change his understanding of who God is. Well, God must not have forgiven me because these people are holding this sin against me. So I, I should probably confess it again. Oh, David goes, no, I have confessed. And it wasn't this general, very, very un, uh, unrepentant, I'm just going to use the words hoping that God saves me. It's, there's this deep innerness of David and the deep innerness of Israel who confesses their sin and he forgives so his confidence is found in the lord 
And so if you're, you're hearing this verse today, you're a believer. And whether you're thinking of a past sin or even a current sin, what God says is if you confess your sin, he forgives you of all unrighteousness. You know what that means? That when I go home today, and more than likely I'll commit some sort of sin because I'm human. I'm going to yell at the kids for no reason, whatever it may be. I'm going to lose self-control in that area. Even though I've sinned, I have confidence that God has forgiven me of that sin because I had already turned to him. Now, I still need to confess that sin, not to earn my salvation, but to restore my relationship with him so that I can converse with him, to admit, hey, God, you know, I know you've cleansed me of this already. I've gotten my eternal salvation from you, but my relationship with you right now is broken, so I need, I need to confess this so that I could be in right relationship with you here on earth and follow your ways and bask in who you are. So have that confidence, but maybe as a believer, you have a past sin that you're holding on to, that deep, dark secret, deep, dark sin. You've confessed it. I'm here to tell you God has already forgiven that if you truly turn to him in confession of that. Now, that doesn't relieve you of the consequences of that sin, but that sin is not held against you before God for your eternal salvation. Hear these words of David. Hear the the words of God in Exodus 34. Hear the words of Paul in Romans and in 1 John and go, I can confidently stand before God. Yes, I have this sin that I committed in my past, but God is no longer holding it against me, so I should no longer hold it against me too. Again, I may have to face the consequences of that sin, And we all know sin, there are some sins, there's heavy, heavy consequences to some sins in our world today. But God does not hold that against me. Which is why you can have an axe murderer, um, uh, a serial killer on death row, hear the gospel, truly believe, and be saved eternally. It's not held against him. Now, he still has to face the consequences of that for the earthly judgment that's going to come upon him or her. But that sin is no longer held against them eternally. So have that confidence. Now, second, the second application here, I think, um, we like to put ourselves in David's place. And that's, I think that's right. That's good. I mean, that's what we just did, Right? You, I know you have forgiven me, Lord, and my confidence is in you, but sometimes maybe we need to put ourselves in those ruthless men, insolent men who were holding David's sin against him. Are we holding a sin against our fellow believer? And we have to ask ourselves, have, have they called upon Christ and confessed their sin against God? Well, if not, then our, our job, our role, our duty as a fellow believer is to pull them aside in love, looking at the, the log in our own eye before seeing the speck in their eye. That just means make sure you know you're just as much as a sinner as they are. Go into it with humility. 
and say, hey, I'm seeing this in your life, and we, have you confessed that before God? How, how, can I, how can I walk with you through this? How can I help you to turn and call upon the name of the Lord? Not for salvation, but to confess your sin. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to walk with you. Are there consequences against our sin? Absolutely. If a fellow believer sins against us, are there consequences to that relationship? Absolutely. But here's what Jesus says. If Christ forgives them, then we should forgive them too. And if you cannot forgive your brother or your sister when they sin against you, then Jesus asks the question in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, will the Father forgive you? And the answer is no. He will not. We are called to forgive our brother and sister in Christ. Now the consequence of that may be, okay, we're going to res- maybe restore that relationship to a certain degree, but if you've sinned really harshly against me, I can't imagine David is bringing these ruthless men then into his inner circle as counselors. He's probably going to avoid them to a very large degree, but he's not going to hold their sin against him like he, they are holding his sin against him. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? We forgive others not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, but because we have been forgiven much that we did not deserve and we did not earn. This is is like heart-searching kind of things as a believer. We forgive much because we are forgiven much. Well, how, how much are we to forgive? Seven times? Peter asked Jesus, he says, no, 70 times seven or seven times seven or 77 or whatever. The, the answer is a lot, a lot, always and everything. This lament of David points us to this, the great steadfast love of the Lord that if we confess our sin, if we turn our heart to Him, He is always faithful and just to forgive us that sin. And as a believer, because He has done that for us, we are to show that to others. And leaving them in the hands of the Lord, just as David left these men in the hands of the Lord. He didn't say, God, all right, now I'm going to go, I'm going to cut off their heads. He is a king, right? Just technically he had the authority to do that. He says, no, God, you show a sign to them that you have forgiven me. And make them ashamed for what they're saying. He left it in God's hands. We don't know how he did that. We don't know when he did that. But David sure seems to have the confidence to know God's going to do it, but I'm going to leave it in his hands and not on my own. Father, I pray that these words, that for those who do not believe, Father, that it would cut them deep, that they 
They have no excuse now, Father. They have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have heard the word of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, may through faith believe and confess their sins before you and stand firm in the confidence that because they have turned to you or in that turning to you, Father, that you have saved them. You have shown your steadfast love to him. You have given your great steadfast love to them, Father, because you have said you would. And for those of us who are saved, that we, that we would bask in that love, that we would not hold on to our own sin, Father, but to give it to you, to let you take care of it, no matter what the consequences are of that sin, but to lay it in your hands and let you take care of it, knowing that that is not held against us on our account before you, Father, that you have removed your wrath from us, placed it on your Son, and it is no longer held against us. But I pray, Father, too, that we as your people would not hold it against our brother and sister in Christ. For those who sin against us, that you would humble us, that we would forgive them, and that, Father, those who sin against us will confess their sin to you and, and receive that forgiveness. Father, may your word dwell in us deeply and richly. May it change us as your people. And Father, may you save souls through the hearing of it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing our final song.